So I'll be reading 1 Corinthians 11, 23 down to um, 32. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he also took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. So as I already mentioned, uh, the theme of the message is examining our lives. And if we look at verse 28, where the title comes from, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And in the NIV it says, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. And I believe that's what we want to do this morning as we are here participating in council meeting, it is a good time for us to stop and think and examine our hearts. Hopefully this doesn't happen only twice a year. Hopefully this is a daily thing that, ha- that we participate in, that we do stop and we do meditate on God's word and we examine our hearts and allow God to examine our hearts and see if there is anything that we should take care of. But I also think it is important that we do do this before we partake in communion. There is a verse in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, that I just want to read that is very similar and tells us also to examine ourselves. It says, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. That's Second Corinthians 13, 5a. So that is what the examination is supposed to do. As we examine ourselves, check whether we truly do have faith. Are we, do we have faith in the Lord? Are we fully surrendered to him? So as I think about examining ourselves, my mind goes to years ago when I was in school. And we'd have to take an exam, and those were never um, things that I looked forward to very well, very much. Um, They were quite difficult for me quite often, depending on the subject. And um, maybe some of you all enjoy them. But taking an exam has a purpose. There's a, a a purpose in an exam, and it is a test of a student's knowledge or skill in a particular subject. So when we take an exam we clearly see, or the teacher does, um, what things we have learned, 
and what things we need to study more and and um, so that we know for the next exam. And then as we get the exam back, we can also be reminded of the areas that we need to brush up on, to study more. And so it is, I believe, as we think about examining our hearts, we can see, are there areas that we need to make changes? Another type of exam that I have to think about that maybe um, applies maybe even a little bit more is um, when we have a, a small child, a baby, we take him to the doctor at various ages often. And so at six months, if we take a little baby to the doctor to have an exam, the doctor will observe the baby and normally ask quite a few questions to the parents. And it might be questions something along the lines of um, what, what the baby is capable of doing. Can he sit at six months or can he roll? Can he make good eye contact? Does he smile? Does he turn his head to hear sounds? And so they want to see, they want to observe and see if there is um, development happening in this child's life. So later on, when we go back another six months later, again, the doctor will observe the child and will ask questions. But he doesn't ask the same questions normally. He wants to, he asks other questions such as, does the child crawl? Is he pulling himself up to furniture? Is he walking along furniture? Can he walk or, or stand or, or walk on his own? Why does the doctor do this? It is to see if the child is developing normally. You know, when we take a child back for a one-year checkup, we don't want them to be able to just do the exact same things that they could do at six months. We want to see growth in their life. And I believe that is exactly what the Lord wants us to see as we examine our lives and we think about where were we six months ago? Where were we? a year ago spiritually? Have we grown? Is there growth in our life? And so those are some of the things I want us to think about as we um, look at this message this morning. What are some of the reasons or why is it important that we take time to examine ourselves? In there in 1 Corinthians where we were reading 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, to make sure that we examine ourselves so we do not partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily. So what are the, some of the things that we need to do to make sure we don't partake unworthily? You know, because the Lord's Supper is a solemn act, a solemn thing that, to commemorate what Jesus did for us, it is important that we observe it with a clear conscience. It's important that we take time for self-examination and we may search out and remove those things that are offensive to God. And sometimes it may be a sin that so easily besets us and that we may almost overlook. We need to allow God to search us, 
to know us because we don't want to partake of communion in an unworthy manner. It is a good time to think and reflect on the what Christ has done for me and try to appreciate what it cost him so that I can experience salvation. Am I really living by faith, believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? Or am I trying to do it on my own strength? Another reason that is important that we examine ourselves and see that we are, make sure that we are not living in sin is because we as a church are the bride of Christ. And he requires a spotless and pure bride. And I was reminded of that yesterday. We were able to observe a wedding. We were at a wedding. And it was a very nice wedding. And as I was sitting there observing the vows that were shared, the commitments that were made, made me think about our commitment to Christ and how committed really am I? And am I a pure, pure bride? Paul, in writing to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, he says, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So God wants us to be fully surrendered, fully dedicated, and focused on him. Christ needs his bride to be spotless. As I mentioned earlier, when we take a baby for a checkup, we want to see growth in that, physically in that child's life. And the same as we examine ourselves, we need to make sure we see spiritual growth in our lives. So as we think about some of these things that we need to check for, as we examine ourselves, make sure we don't have sin in our life, make sure which, which allows us to be a spotless and, and pure and, and holy, um, make sure there is spiritual growth happening how do we do some of these things? How does God expect us to examine ourselves and to really know? Are we being, are we living the way he wants us to do or wants us to live? I invite you to a very familiar passage, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. We already sang these verses this morning, and I was blessed by that. As we consider allowing God to search us, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So rather than just trying to do this self-examination ourselves and discern whether we're actually living the way God wants us to or not, I believe it's very important that we 
allow God to do the searching, that we open our hearts to him and just allow him to see everything and allow him to do, as the psalmist says here, just search me, know me, know my heart, know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way, any wicked thoughts, anything in my heart that I should change. We already know how much of our heart does he know about? He knows everything. But yet, when we open our, our hearts and we say, please search me, know me, we allow him, we allow the Spirit to prompt us, to show us areas that we need to to change or grow in? Are we really willing to open our hearts and our thoughts to God and allow him to speak to us, to show us areas that we should change? Why is it important that we allow God to do this, that we allow him to truly search us and show us Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I believe it's very important for us to open ourselves up to God and allow him to reveal anything that we should change. Because as this verse says, our own heart is deceitful. I believe we should be in prayer to God, asking him to show us if there are things that should be different. What am I overlooking can be a question that we can ask God. What am I being deceived by? This verse causes me to think about David's sin with Bathsheba. And then the way that he tried to cover up that sin. He invited her husband Uriah home from the battle, wishing that he would go spend time with his wife. But he didn't. He said he wouldn't because... His fellow men were out there at battle fighting, and so it wasn't right for him to enjoy time at home. And so finally David sends him back to the battle with a special message to give Joab. And this is what David penned for Uriah to give to Joab. He says in this letter that he wrote, saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye excuse me, and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. This was David's goal. This is what David wanted to happen. This was how far sin had led him and how willing and and, um, what he was willing to do to try to cover up that sin. As that verse in Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. When David allowed sin to rule in his life and allowed his passions to take over, he was um, deceived or he allowed it to, to change him into someone that he wasn't. He wasn't a man after God's own heart when he allowed that to happen. In um, verse 27 um, of Second Samuel 11, Verse 27, after David did this and Uriah died, it says, The thing that David did displeased the Lord. And we know that it did. It's very evident. 
But that's what that verse says. And we can see here what can happen when we aren't fully surrendered to God and we allow his um, and we aren't allowing his spirit to control our lives and actions. Things like this can take place. We try to cover up a sin instead of being willing to confess it. And yet, as time went on, David continued to try to act like everything was okay. So what did God need to do? I invite you to 2 Samuel 12, and this is a very familiar passage. But I think there's some things in here that we can be reminded of. That as we allow God to search us, and we're open to him, he, he may need to, to speak to us through, through different means, just depending on what's happening in our life. How did God reach out and get David's attention. He wasn't willing to just let David continue on living in this sin, trying to hide it and cover it up. We're here in verses 1 through 14 of 2 Samuel 12. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives unto thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore, hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite and with the, with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wife, wives before thine eyes, and give them unto the neighbor, thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun." For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee 
shall surely die. So David was trying to cover up this sin. But God didn't allow that. And he sent Nathan. And how difficult would it have been for Nathan to go and to talk to King Saul? That would have been a very difficult thing to do. But thankfully, the Lord blessed him with a a story to share. And it put things in a little different perspective for David. And as he listened to the story, he obviously saw the wrong that was being done. And then he told Nathan exactly what should be done to correct that wrong. You know, so often that's how it is for for me or for us. It's pretty easy to be able to see into someone else's life and see something that they are struggling with or something that they have done and, and recognize that thing. And yet it's hard to admit or see the very needs, the very struggles that we have. You know, Jesus talks about that in Matthew 7, verses 3 to 5. He talks about the small moat that is in thy brother's eye, but not even considering the beam that is in thine own eye. You know, that's a little bit how, how David was here. He could see this little thing that, or big thing that this rich man had done in, in taking that little lamb from the poor man, but yet he himself was trying to avoid, to hide sin. I believe this is where the brotherhood comes in, and it is important that we are open to what our brothers and sisters are willing to share with us. When they come to us and they have a concern or a need, are we open to what they have to say? Or aren't we humble enough to accept what they have to share with us? I was thinking about this, I had to think, just how approachable am I? Is it hard for somebody to come to me and talk to me? I believe it would have been very hard for Nathan to go to David and share with David this thing that God asked him to do. How am I? Am I approachable? Maybe we shouldn't have to wait until someone feels they need to come and talk to us. Maybe we should talk to them and ask maybe our accountability partner or something like that. Is there something that I'm missing? Do you see something in my life that I should change? That I could do better at? That I could improve in? Something that is bothering um, you as, as my accountability partner? Is there an area that I could grow in? And bring up the subject and allow them to speak into my life in that way. I'll let that up to you, whether you think that's a, a good idea or not. But, you know, that makes it a lot easier for someone to share with us if we bring up the subject versus them having to try to um, get up the, enough courage to, to talk to us. <clears throat> but I believe God has given us a brotherhood, and I'm blessed by our brotherhood to help us on our spiritual journey, to to share with us, to encourage us, to point out areas that we can and need to grow in. 
Another tool that God can use is his word. If we take, and when we take enough time to read and meditate upon his word, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. How can God's word work like that? How is it possible for his word to do that unless we take the time to sit and read and meditate if we just let his word sit over there on, on the shelf, it's not going to be able to work very effectively in our lives. But when we actually take the time to read and to sit and meditate and think about, what do you have for me, Lord? What areas do I need to work on? Then God's word can work in our lives, just as that verse says. It's quite remarkable when we think about the power of God's word. Are we allowing his word to penetrate into our hearts and lives and show us areas that we should change or even areas that would help us grow spiritually? I invite you to turn with me to one last passage here. And I believe this passage in 1 Peter 1, verses 13 to 21. For me, at least, just kind of put all of this together as far as being who God wants me to be before I partake in communion. If I am truly open and, and desiring to do what God wants. So 1 Peter 1, get to the right place here. Verses 13 through 21. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end of the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as, an obedient, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, past the time of your sojourning here in fear, forasmuch as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot, who verily was, for, for, excuse me, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. In these verses, we see there's a few things that we should be says that we need to be sober. And I think this idea of being sober is, is thinking seriously about our relationship with God. Seriously consider, how is my relationship with God? It also speaks of, 
being obedient children there in verse 14. We know how nice it is to have children that obey, whether you're a parent or not. If you relate to children at all, it's nice when they obey. How obedient am I to my father? Am I willing to obey him? Or am I trying to do my own things? The latter part of verse 14 there says, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust, the things that we maybe used to um, seek after, but being rather being obedient to God, our Father. That's what He wants. Verses also speak about being holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. And this isn't just Sunday morning or the week before communion, but it needs to be a constant, a daily thing in our life. Sunday through Saturday, being holy, living the way God wants us to live, living in a way that others can tell that something is different, that God is our Father, and that we are thankful for that. And it puts a smile on our face and joy in our hearts. We should also have a fearful respect for God because of his holiness and because of what he has done and his willingness to, to save us through the shed blood as it talks about in verse 19, the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So let us be prepared to commemorate the Lord's Supper in a worthy way by allowing God to search us and to know us, to search our hearts, to excuse me, to search our, our thoughts, our thought life, and allow Him through His Spirit to, to speak to us, to be open to Him, and be willing to, to confess or share areas of needs in our life if we need to. And then diligently live according to the way that God's word teaches us to live. Let's have a song.